This podcast episode was recorded live at the 2022 ASCO Annual Meeting in Chicago by Oncology Data Advisor and Convey Med. Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. I am here with Dr. Ian Kropp of Yale University, who presented data on the novel HER3 targeting antibody drug conjugate, patricimab durextekin in HER3 expressing metastatic breast cancer. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Kropp. I'm happy to be here. And just so you know, we all call it just HER3-DXD, which is a lot easier than pertritimab durastecan. <laughs> Thank so. you. So why is there so much excitement about anti- antibody drug conjugates for metastatic breast cancer at the ASCO 2020 an- annual meeting? Well, I mean, I think it's actually preceded, I think the excitement has preceded ASCO because this is a kind of therapy that's really a class of therapy that's really taken off. You know, the idea of an antibody drug conjugate is that you use a monoclonal antibody, which is something that's very specific for a certain target, and it can be any target on a cancer cell, to use that as a way to deliver a very potent chemotherapy directly to the cancer cell. So with the idea that if you can deliver the chemo right to the cancer cell, you can cut down some of the toxicity of the chemotherapy because it's not free to roam around and damage normal tissues. So the idea of an antibody drug conjugate is one that's been around for a long time. But over the last, I don't know, seven or 10 years, we started to see more and more of these. And then in the last few years, there's been a second generation of these drugs that have really proven more effective, probably than any other type of certainly chemotherapy-based treatment. So these are generally used in the later line setting. Do you think there's any chance that they could be moved up in the treatment pattern for breast cancer? Well, I think that's a great question, and, and, and certainly yes. I mean, and so in breast cancer, uh, well, I mean, in most cancers, we start out developing drugs in, in, in patients with advanced disease, and, and that was first done with this the first antibody drug conjugate in breast cancer, which was called TDM1 or trastuzumab imtansine, and that showed efficacy in, in the advanced disease setting for HER2-positive patients. Uh, and then there was a study that actually looked in the early disease population. These were patients who were high risk because they had had neoadjuvant treatment and did not have a complete response. And they were randomized to just getting trastuzumab, which was the standard at the time, or switching to this antibody drug conjugate in these early stage patients. And and switching to TDM1, you basically cut their recurrence risk by half. Um, So that's now the standard of care. So these antibody drug conjugates are not only used in the advanced disease setting, but already in the early disease setting. And now when we have these next generation conjugates, those are now starting to be tested in, they've already, you know, we've already have one of them approved or actually two of them approved uh, in different classes of breast cancer. And they're now being tested in, in early disease as well. So they're definitely spreading out across multiple subtypes of breast cancer and in multiple stages of breast cancer. And in your trial, you targeted, well, the drug targeted HER3. Why is this an attractive target? Yeah, perfect question. So so HER3 is something that that we've known for a long time is overexpressed in a substantial fraction of breast cancers, probably at least half, if not more. And when cancers have too much HER3, they have a bad prognosis. And so those are, you know, kind of red flags to us that this is a potential good therapeutic target. In the past, even though there have been attempts at using HER3-targeted drugs, they really hadn't worked, but they weren't antibody drug conjugates. So this is kind of a way to take advantage of the effectiveness and potency of uh, antibody drug conjugate and direct it against HER3. 
And what did your studies show about the clinical activity of, now I'm going to botch the name again. PER3DXD. PER3DXD. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what we showed was that, and we looked at all major subtypes. We had patients with hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative cancers, triple negative cancers, as well as HER2 positive cancers. And importantly, these were heavily pretreated patients. So this was a, you know, this was a relative, this is an early phase, it's a phase one, two trial, and those tend to attract patients who've had multiple lines of therapy, and that's what happened here. So the, the hormone receptor positive patients had, on average, six prior lines of therapy. The triple negative patients had two prior lines. The HER2 positives had almost six prior lines. So these were patients who had been on a lot of therapy that had stopped working. And yet we saw pretty substantial clinical activity. So the response rate was about 30% in the ER positive patients. It was over 20% in the triple negatives and over 40% in the HER2 positives. And what was nice was not only did it work in a good fraction of patients, but it tended to work for a decent amount of time. So the on average, it was working six to eight months for these patients. So you know, I think those are things that we really look for in a drug that it works in a, you know, a healthy fraction of the patients and it works for a, a non-trivial amount of time. And that's what we saw here. And it also had a very manageable safety profile, correct? Yeah, yeah. no, I think overall that's correct. I mean, only about 10% of people had to stop the therapy because of, of side effects. About 10 to 20% had to just had to dose reduce because of side effects. And those, those are numbers that, you know, I think most of us would think are pretty manageable. You know, the most common side effects were gastro low, you know, mild gastrointestinal things like nausea and vomiting that were very manageable. You do get myelosuppression. So people did have drops in their platelet counts and their neutrophils, but those were also very manageable. You just had to hold the drug or dose reduce and that never had to stop a drug because of of those kinds of toxicities. Now, the one thing that I always want to make sure people remember is that there is pneumonitis or interstitial lung disease seen with this, as well as a lot of the other antibody drug conjugates. In this trial, it was about a little bit more than 6% of people had it. Most of them were mild, but they did have one patient, so about less than 1%, but one patient died of, of pneumonitis. So it's definitely something that we always have to pay attention to when we're using these antibody drug conjugates. So do you have any strategies that after doing the trial for monitoring and management of the ILD? Because it does seem to be like the biggest yeah. problem. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what we've we've learned, you know, now that we've been using uh, particularly trastuzumab deruxtecan a lot in the clinic, that it's something that we have to monitor as physicians and nurses. So that if a patient has complaints that we, you know, respiratory complaints, typically shortness of breath or cough, that we think about this. We also need to look on when patients have their staging CT scans, we have to make sure that, that they're not developing any what signs of, of pneumonitis, which typically typically are ground glass opacities. And then importantly, we have to tell the patients about this so that they know that if they're at home and they're starting to develop cough and, and this, you know, shortness of breath, it, you know, it may be COVID, but it also could be this, uh, or it could be a cold and they need to let the doctors know because the way that, you know, we worry people get into trouble with this is, is it, is the pneumonitis isn't recognized early on. And so they need to tell us so we can get them evaluated and we need to think about it. So if patients are having, you know, all the whole care team needs to think about it. So if the patient's having symptoms or radiographic signs that we work it up. And that means getting an evaluation oftentimes by a pulmonologist, getting an, uh, you know, a high resolution CT scan and often putting them on steroids, which tends to work very well. So what are the future directions? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, again, I think the data are encouraging for the reasons we talked about. And, but this is a small study. This is a phase one, two study. So I think we need to do 
somewhat larger studies to confirm that we're seeing that this this level of activity is is not a fluke, which I don't think it is. Uh, and then if that's confirmed, then doing a, a registration, you know, a large phase three trial to really prove that this is better than standard of care. But certainly if the data continue to look the way they do, then I think that's very likely. And this would be great to have as another treatment, particularly for the ER positive patients where we're, we're running, we often run out of options. Well, thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this podcast recorded live at the 2022 ASCO Annual Meeting by Oncology Data Advisor and Convey Med. For more expert perspectives on the latest in cancer research and treatment, be sure to subscribe to the podcast at conveymed.io and oncdata.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media for news, exclusive interviews, and more.